the presence here this morning to give thanks for the cross, to give thanks for Jesus Christ, to give thanks for your grace which has been shown to us so freely, so generously. And Father, we know that your desire is now that as your people we would live by faith that we would trust that what you say is true, that you will care for us, that you will lead and guide us, that you will protect us until that day when you call us to be with you. This morning as we pause and open your word, I pray that we would hear your voice today, that the Holy Spirit would take your word and unlock it for us, make it understandable to us, Show us the practicality of what you are saying, Lord, that we might live by faith. In Christ's name, amen. So last week, Pastor Tim started us on this amazing 11th chapter of Hebrews dedicated to the topic of faith. Now, we talked last week about the the fact that faith is being sure of our hope. Faith is being convinced of things that we cannot see. If you can see the answer to your problem, if you can see the solution to the situation you're in, then it requires no faith. Can we agree on that? Faith is being convinced that what we cannot see is true, that God cares for us, that he loves us, that he will protect us. And this kind of faith, true faith, will always result in life change. Now, if you've been with us over the past few months, we're in week 25 of 40 through the book of Hebrews, and we made this shift two or three weeks ago. If you were here, you remember we talked about this. We've made this shift from what we need to know to what we need to do. It's not that I'm not going to tell you anything you need to know this morning, but we're emphasizing what we need to do with it. You see, we're not in the business of simply collecting information about God, collecting information about the cross, about grace. We're here this morning because God wants us to take that information, take his word that he gives us, and put it into practice in our lives. That's what we're talking about. We know that Jesus is God. We know that he fulfilled the law. We know that he is our sufficient sacrifice. We know that he is our savior. So now, how must we live? And are we living like we truly believe it? You see, my friends, we cannot simply talk about our faith. We must live it. So starting here, picking up where Tim left off last week, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 4, and we're introduced to this amazing cast of characters. Now, I'm guessing, but I'm going to take a little straw poll. How many people have ever read Hebrews 11 before? Okay, so there's quite a few of you that have not read Hebrews 11, or at least you just can't remember it because it was more than 48 hours ago. And if that's, okay, that's the truth, that's okay. We're going to refresh your memories over the next few weeks. So we're being introduced to this, this group of people who live their lives by faith. And if you read down through this, if you haven't done it for a while, maybe you should refresh your memories a little bit. And later this week, sit down and read through this chapter and get it into your mind. And you'll find that many of the verses start by faith. 
And that's what we're going to see here. Verse 4 of Hebrews 11, by faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now I'm guessing that an extremely high percentage of you have heard of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's oldest two sons. And probably many of you know that Cain killed Abel. But you may not know the backstory. Now, if you have more than one son here this morning, you might say, well, I could guess what might have happened between Cain and Abel, but you may not know all of the details, okay? So here's what happened. These boys were being raised by Adam and Eve, and remember that we have talked about the fact that God was unfolding the plan of redemption to them. Nod your head if you remember that I've talked about this before. Okay, that's incredibly discouraging. Don't do that anymore. Don't answer any more of my questions because it'll just make me sad that you don't remember anything. God has... Un- remember I had the telescope? Anybody remember the telescope? You know... You know, one part at a time, God is revealing this. He's unfolding it to Adam and Eve who knew nothing because there was no sin in the world. When they sinned, God said, you need to be covered. And he killed animals and he gave them skins to cover themselves. That was the first piece of the puzzle. Sin causes death. And he began to unfold this plan more and more. He gave Abraham the command to offer sacrifices and Noah as well before him. And then he gave Moses the law that had the whole sacrificial system. And then Jesus came to fulfill it all, which we have talked about. So Adam and Eve are raising Cain and Abel, and they don't know a lot. They know far less than what we know now about God's plan of redemption and the unfolding of all of it, but they're teaching them what they know, and what do they know? They know, well, there needs to be a sacrifice for sin, an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And so these young boys, these young men, started offering their own sacrifices, They started taking responsibility for their own relationship with God, which is very natural, which, by the way, parents, we should be doing with our children and our grandchildren, teaching them to take responsibility for their own relationship with the Lord. And Cain and Abel were doing that, but Cain did not live out what he had been taught. Genesis 4 tells us that Cain went to God to offer a sacrifice for his sins, and he offered vegetables from his garden. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with offering God a sacrifice of what he had produced. In fact, later when God gave the law to Moses, there would be times when they were told to bring of their fruits and vegetables and their grain and their oil and their wine and all of those things and offer part of it to God. That was perfectly acceptable. The problem was this. It was not an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Why not? Well... Just a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, we read that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness for sin. 
It was one thing to offer God this sacrifice, but not as a sacrifice for sin. There needed to be blood. And Cain had offered what he had produced, but Abel believed what he had been taught about God. He believed what his mother and father had told him and how to approach God and that his sins need to be covered, needed to be covered by blood. And this, my friends, this is where the life of faith begins. Understanding that in order to approach God, we must do so on the basis of a blood sacrifice for our sin. Few minutes, we're going to go up the road and we're going to have our baptism. And the people who are being baptized have come to the place in their lives where they realize that they cannot approach God without a blood sacrifice for their sin, which is Christ. So Abel offered the blood sacrifice because he had faith that what God said was true. And God considered Abel righteous, it says here in this verse. Because he had faith. I want you to notice this, my friends. God did not consider Abel righteous because he brought a sacrifice. He considered him righteous because he offered the sacrifice in faith. Okay? You get that? He offered it in faith. Abel lived by faith after he was saved by faith. He trusted God and he showed it by the way that he lived. Let's look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now Enoch is an interesting case. I'm sure far fewer of you have heard of Enoch But his story is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch did not experience death because God took him directly to heaven. How many people think that sounds really good? (laughs) Surprisingly small number. Okay. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to death. I know what's on the other side. I'm just not necessarily looking forward to the journey. But for Enoch... He didn't experience death. He didn't taste death. Genesis 5, verse 24 says that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, I want to draw your attention to two phrases. First of all, in this verse, in Hebrews 11, it says that Enoch pleased God. And in Genesis 5, it says that Enoch walked with God. Now, we talk about walking with God all the time, don't we? We talk about it as we look at all these passages. You probably talk about it in your small groups. If you're talking with your friends who are, are, are living for God, we often say it that way. We're walking with God, or I want to walk with God, or I'm, I'm concerned about my walk with God, or my friends walk with God. It's very common. But in Genesis chapter 5, this is the first time it had ever been said this way. He walked with God. Now, what I want you to think about is this, that walking with God speaks to us of surrender. It speaks to us of giving up our will. Because God doesn't force his company or himself on anyone. I don't know 
all of you here this morning, so I don't know exactly how much all of you know about the God of the Bible. I know some of you know a lot, but you need to understand that God does as he wills. What God desires to do, he does. He's the God of the universe. He created the universe by the sound of his voice, in fact, Genesis 1 tells us. And so, if you want to walk with God, you need to walk where he's walking, not where you want to walk. Melody and I were walking through Walmart the other day. And when I'm in Walmart, I am a man of single-minded focus. And that is get to where I got to get and get out. Okay? Especially if I have the unfortunate happenstance to go on a Friday afternoon. That place is a zoo. And I want to get where I'm going. And we stopped in the other night. We had been out doing something and we came by. And, and there wasn't really many people in there. It was 9.30 or so at night. And we stepped out of the car and we get into Walmart. And I hit that threshold of that automatic door. And I just went. I was walking. And I soon realized that I was walking alone. <laughs> because Melody was two or three steps behind me. And she said, can you just slow down a little bit? <laughs> you see, I wanted to walk with her. I always want to walk with her. When we're walking together, it just raises the level of the whole situation when we're together. But if I wanted to walk with her, I had to alter my walk. I had to change my pace. And to stop thinking about what I wanted to do and start thinking about what she was doing. And this is what we're learning here as we think about Enoch. He walked with God. Enoch involved himself in what God was doing. Twenty years ago, Tim and I would have conversations, and we would have the conversations about what was happening as the church, just as a fledgling body, was just starting, and we would have these conversations, and we would sit, and we would just kind of dream. Man, what's it going to be like, Tim? What's it going to be like in five years from now? Oh, man, can you imagine what it's going to be? It's going to ten years from now, oh. I don't think I ever envisioned 20 years from now being in a tent <laughs> in the backside of a parking lot with all you fine people. Do you know what we realized? If we want to walk with God in leading this church, we're going to have to alter our walk. We're going to have to adjust our pace to match his. Because we were ready. I mean, we had plans. And if we had taken off, we would have soon realized we're walking alone. <laughs> we're walking alone. That's what Enoch did. He altered his walk. 
Jude actually tells us, the book of Jude tells us that Enoch was a preacher. And he preached righteousness and judgment. In fact, he preached that God was coming with fiery angels (laughs) to judge the earth. That's a hard message. In an undoubtedly godly time, ungodly time, and we don't know how effective he was. We don't know how, what he got for results. But what do we know? What does the verse tell us? What do we know? Still up there? Oh, no, I already moved on. What does it tell us? What do we know? He pleased God. He pleased God. That took enormous faith to trust God, to protect him, to take care of him. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This, I think, is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. I love this verse. It's so clear, it's so definite, it's so precise. Abel's sacrifice pleased God. Enoch's walk pleased God. What does that mean? It means that they were living by faith. How do we know that? Because it's impossible to please God any other way. If Abel's sacrifice pleased God and Enoch's walk pleased God, then it must have been my faith because that's the only way that God is honored. The word impossible means unable. It means powerless. The implication here that we are utterly incapable of pleasing God any other way. My friends, it does not matter what you do. You have no shot at pleasing God unless you are living by faith. It's impossible. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, whatever it is that you think is pleasing God, it's not unless you're doing it by faith. Let me give you a couple of examples. You might say, well, I come to church on Sunday. Surely God is happy with that. It must please him to see me here in church. Well, it does if you're doing it by faith. What does that mean? It means that in this body, we have a lot of very hardworking people, very determined people. We have a lot of people in this church who own businesses, run small businesses, employ people. You are responsible for caring for and providing for your family, and that is honorable. God desires that from us. To come to church by faith, if you are someone who fits in that category, means that you know and you believe that if you take this morning and you come here and you worship God and you fellowship with the body and you spend the time with your family, that you trust that God is going to make the other six days of the week enough to do what you need to do. That's what it means to come to church in faith. Or we could say the same thing about giving. 
You say, well, I put money in the offering plate or I put, use my app and I send money to the church. Surely God is happy with that. He is if you're doing it by faith. What does that mean? It means you don't wait till the end of the week and make sure all your bills are paid and you've had two trips to Luchador and you've got oil in the fuel tank and gas in the car and then you look and say, oh, I got some money left. I'll put some in the offering. Giving by faith means that when that paycheck hits your bank account, the first thing you do is you give. What does that mean? It means that you trust. You have faith that God is going to take whatever is left and he's going to make it enough for everything that you need to do. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we please him by living by faith? Well, he says right here in the verse, first of all, we have to believe that he exists. And I know as soon as we read that, everybody says, oh, I got that one. I believe that God exists. You need to understand that the word exist here means existence without limits. It's an extremely specific word. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 1 and verse 1 where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was is the same word as exists in Hebrews 11, and it means endless, timeless existence. It, it speaks to us of God's eternality. So I want you to understand that for us to please God by faith, we must first of all believe that God exists. That doesn't mean that we just believe that a God exists. But we must believe that Jehovah God exists, the God of the Bible. God in all of his holiness, in all of his justice, in all of his perfection, along with all of his love and grace, you must have exactly straight who God is in order to please him by faith. Because he alone is the object of that faith. This is not, my friends, this is not the God of your imagination. This is not the God that you want him to be. The God you want to do the things you want to do. This is believing that God exists the way he reveals himself in his word. And that, as God, the creator of the universe, he determines our destiny, our future, and our fortunes. You see, it says here, not only do we must, must we believe that he exists, we must believe that he rewards those who seek him. And as such, he rewards what he values. That he alone determines blessing and condemnation, comfort and suffering. Living faith is understanding that trusting and obedience to his word is the only way to his blessing. Faith for salvation and for living is placing my life in God's hands. It's saying, God, here I am, and you can do with my life, with my family, with my money, with my time, whatever you decide, decide to do. That's what it means to live by faith. And you cannot please God any other way. You can't put part of your life in his hands, 
and then go to church a few times and make sure you put money in and do some other things to make up the rest. Your whole life has to go in there. Look at verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I want you to see here that Noah's faith is demonstrated by his obedience. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 tells us that he too walked with God. The same thing that, that God said about Enoch, he said about Noah, he walked with God. And I want you to understand this morning that we could spend hours just talking about Noah. There are so many fascinating details about the story that show God's faithfulness and God's control over everything. And we don't have time to do all that this morning, but I want you to know this, simply that God communicated with Noah that he was to build an ark, which by all accounts, he did immediately and unhesitatingly which I think is really something because if you look on a map and see where Noah lived, he didn't live anywhere near an ocean. He lived nowhere near any large body of water of any kind. It is entirely likely that Noah had never even seen rain before. He was 600 years old when God told him to build the ark. He hadn't seen rain in his 600 years. I would just like to not see rain for 24 hours. <laughs> I'd be good. 600 years, Noah had never seen rain. He had a fraction of the understanding of God and his plan that we have, but he obeyed God. He worked. And he built this ark for 120 years. All because of, as the verse says, events as yet unseen. <laughs> That's faith. That is faith. He'd probably never seen a ship. He'd certainly never seen anything, any any at all like what God was asking him to build. He probably didn't know anything about this kind of construction. He didn't have any help except for his sons who were extremely young when God first spoke to him. And he built an ark that was 438 feet long, 73 feet wide, 44 feet tall with four floors. all without a drop of water coming out of the sky for 120 years. That's 96,000 square feet. Just to give you an idea, our building, which looks huge, is 9,600 square feet. <laughs> ten times bigger. Ten times the area of that building. And he lived his faith for everyone to see. Now, here's a little caveat about the, light, the culture that Noah was living in. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, when God describes what the world was like at that time, do you know how he describes it? He says, every thought of mankind was only evil continually. Can you imagine? 
I'm looking at what's happening out there right now, and I'm thinking that is a cesspool of filth. But once in a while, you hear about something good happening. I mean, this is good happening. There's still some good things happening. But when Noah was doing this, it was only evil continually. Now, Second Peter, Peter actually mentions Noah. And he says there that he preached righteousness while he built. He's cutting down trees. He's sawing out logs. He's, I don't know what he's doing. Forging nails. I have no idea how we put this thing together. <laughs> For 120 years, and the whole evil culture was cascading down on top of him, mocking him, blaspheming his God, torturing his family with their words and their actions. And through all of it, Noah preached righteousness in the middle of the filth. So my question for you this morning is this. Are you willing to alter your walk? You willing to alter your walk in order to walk with God? Your daily life ought to look different because of your faith. So does it. Do you trust God enough to live differently? My friends, listen to me for a second now. Normal is broken. I know it's hard for you to believe when you look at my youthful countenance, but I graduated from high school 35 years ago. And it was not a perfect world, but I want to tell you what, it was different than the one that we live in today. There were normal people. Even though they didn't know the Lord, they lived normal lives. That is not the case anymore. Normal is broken. And as Christ followers, we are called to live an abnormal life. So stop complaining and stop whining when what God wants you to do makes you stand out. When every thought of mankind is evil continually, the lying, the lewdness, the profanity, the hatred, all the garbage going on in this world, you need to be different. That's why we're going up to the farm and baptizing people. We need to be different. This is not just something to write down in the back flap of your Bible. I got baptized on such and such a date. This is you identifying with this body saying, we're going to be different. That's why this matters. That's why the tears come into my eyes when I stand up here and I hear you singing because it reminds me I'm not alone. I'm abnormal in this culture and you need to be too. The absolute bedrock of your life and its foundation must be that God is right and that He is true and that He is faithful. And that by following Him and being obedient to Him will result in His care and His protection and His blessing as long as He wants you to be on this earth and then when He takes you out, you will be with Him for eternity.
but you have to trust him implicitly. You have to have true faith in him if you are going to alter your walk to walk with him because it's tough out there. And it's going to cost you something. And if you're not convinced of who God is, and if you're not convinced that he rewards what he values, then you won't do it because it's too difficult. It is impossible to please God without living a life of faith. What does God want? I don't know what he wants. I can't figure it out. Read Hebrews 11.6. He wants you to live, make decisions, love your spouse, raise your kids, do your job, spend your money like you believe what he says is true. Even when it's tough, even when it's against the grain, even when it's not normal, even when it costs you something, don't say you can't do it. That's what a Hebrews 11 is for, so that you and I can't say, I can't do it, because Abel did it, and Enoch did it, and Noah did it. In the next few weeks, we're going to see a lot more people who did it, probably in much worse circumstances than you and I live in. Oh, we, live, we go to church in a tent. It's hot in there. Noah had people trying to kill him while he built an, built an ark that no one understood because it had never rained before. And he kept doing it. Don't say that you can't do it. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and, and they closed the podcast saying this, and I just love it. It's probably going to show up on the wall of my office somewhere so I don't forget it. He said, you can tell me that you won't, but don't tell me that you can. You have a choice. What makes it possible? God. God, my rock. No matter what, he will never fail you. He alone is worthy of your faith, my friends. Know that. We're going to stand together today and we're going to close this service by singing that song, God My Rock. Sing it like your life depends on it because guess what? It does.